The reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have shown mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat you unless you forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Well, you you can't see it up here, but you know it's a good day when the worship pastor gets so excited that he knocks over a glass of water that's behind here. But but in the spirit of the sermon, Adam, I forgive you, okay? So... You know, we we are going to talk about forgiveness this morning, and there's all kinds of forgiveness, right? Variations and difficulty of forgiveness. And really, one of the most difficult kinds of forgiveness is when you've been publicly humiliated. Um, So here's an illustration of what I mean. Um, So, I mean, look, for you Purdue fans, I know forgiveness is hard, but you'll get over it. Um, On on a more serious note, (laughs) forgiveness is a tough topic, isn't it? Um, But the reason I chose it to be one of the 12 steps of discipleship is because it's essential. Or to put it another way, God says we must. It's not optional. So why is it so difficult? Well, you could list a lot of reasons, I'm sure. But I I mentioned just four that come to mind. It's difficult because the the wound is so deep, right? You've been injured so severely. 
it's, it's a great loss. It's hard to forgive. Another reason that forgiveness is difficult is because, quite frankly, we're self-centered. Or to put it another way, sometimes we think ourselves as being horribly wronged when in fact it's not that big a deal. So we stand in the way ourselves. A third reason you might consider why um, forgiveness is so difficult is because we want justice. And actually that's not a bad thing. We want justice, and it's hard to forgive. And the final reason that forgiveness might be so difficult, very similar to the next to last, is because we have rights. We have rights. And quite frankly, because we have rights, it feels good. You know what I mean? It feels good to hold the grudge, to hang on to it. We nurse the wound. Those are some of the reasons that forgiveness is difficult. But what does it mean for a disciple to choose forgiveness? Let's get more specific about what it means for a Christ follower to choose forgiveness. If a Christ follower chooses forgiveness, that Christ follower isn't saying that forgiveness is inconsistent with justice. As a matter of fact, we have multiple Old Testament and New Testament passages that call for justice. So you can't say, oh, let's just forgive and forget and not consider justice as a part of the equation. No, that's not true forgiveness, according to the Scripture. Punishment for crimes is not inconsistent with forgiveness. But we often are guilty of what I'll just call dualistic thinking, right? It's either this or that. It's either forgiveness or punishment. It's either forgiveness or justice. And we do that in all kinds of categories. And I think it's a besetting sin of ours to categorize it that way. Why? Because, as you well know, civilized societies actually need justice. We need impartial courts. Otherwise, it would be complete chaos. So forgiveness is not inconsistent with justice. What seems to be inconsistent with justice, when we think of the topic of forgiveness is what is often called embracing retributive justice. In other words, the kind of justice that says, I want that person to suffer for what they did to me. I actually want that person, if you look at your own heart, to suffer more than I suffered for what they did to me. A form of retributive justice means that there is no thought of restoration of any kind towards those who have committed the offense. Forgiveness and justice married in a proper relationship mean that we actually forgive the offender 
But at the same time, we ask that justice be done against the offense. I think one of the most interesting uh, episodes, historical episodes, that uh, demonstrated this was when Pope John Paul um, was fallen by a bullet of a would-be assassin. Once the Pope had recovered, and long after the attempted assassination, the Pope visited the criminal in jail. And it was very public. He went there for one reason and one reason only, to forgive the man who tried to kill him. It was huge. It was played out on the news over and over again. But you know what, as I recall... Pope John Paul did not do, well, couldn't have done, but did not do. He did not repeal the sentence against the man for the crime. He didn't take back the judge's order. He didn't say, I forgive, so let him back out. That's why... Justice and forgiveness are consistent with one another, not inconsistent with one another. We must have some form of justice in order to be a civilized society. What else does it mean to choose forgiveness as a Christ follower? It does not mean, I I feel like saying this 10 times, It does not mean, it does not mean, it does not mean returning to the abuser. Forgiveness is not the same thing as saying, I forgive you, now I'll let you abuse me again. Why? Think about it. Because that activity perpetuates the sin. It increases the evil. We have multiple scriptural illustrations of this. When David was being chased by King Saul, every day trying to make sure he didn't lose his life, and on two different occasions he finds Saul, and he could have put him to death. He does not. He does not put him to death. He calls him out of a sleep, a stupor, and says, Look, my father, I have the ability to kill you, or did, but I will not now. And then what does David do? Does he walk back into the dysfunctional relationship and give Saul an opportunity to kill him? No, he does not. He walks away from the abusive relationship. Until God brings about what God will do. We have uh, the same kind of uh, sentiment expressed by the Apostle Paul when it comes to slaves and masters. The Apostle Paul said, If you have the opportunity to be freed from your master, do it by all means. Take the opportunity. Don't be in that abusive relationship if you can help it. But at the same time, 
Paul would say, forgive those who are your masters who wrongfully treat you. The third thing um, I want to mention about what forgiveness means for a Christ follower is this. Forgiveness is naming the offense. Naming the offense and condemning the sin. That is forgiveness. Some of you may know, know the name Miroslav Volf. He is a very well-known theologian. Um, he is a theologian at Yale Divinity School. Yale uh, found him at Fuller Theological Seminary as an evangelical theologian and invited him to be a part of the faculty. And he's tenured there. He's brilliant. And he's a deeply committed follower of Christ. Part of Miroslav Volf's story is that he was raised in the former Yugoslavia. And he went through the nightmare of war there. Where family members on both sides and family members and friends who were killed in what was really genocide. And he's written extensively about the idea of forgiveness. So so this is coming from someone who understands what it's like to lose a lot and still forgive. And I found it uh, just stunning what he said. I want to read his words. In the very act of forgiveness, you've accused the person of a transgression. To forgive is to name and condemn the misdeed. The same is true of God. God doesn't condemn and then forgive. God also condemns in the very act of forgiving. The very act of forgiving says you're in the wrong. The very act of forgiving condemns the sin that you are complicit in. And at the same time, it forgives. So when God forgives sins, he doesn't pretend that nothing happened. And when we read the scripture, we hear about forgiveness of sins and we see... God's wrath upon sin, especially in the cross. Not that an angry heavenly father punished his son, but that second person of the Trinity willfully took on the wrath of sin, which is death, so that we could be forgiven. That's forgiveness. Something else that forgiveness is, it's the opposite of shrugging off an offense as if it doesn't matter. That's not true forgiveness. It's naming the sin, condemning the sin in the act of forgiveness. Forgiveness is like the giving of a gift. 
God offers forgiveness and some people receive it. Some accept it and some do not. We offer forgiveness, some people accept it and some people do not. The one who is harmed is the one who does not accept the forgiveness. Not the one who gives it. The one who gives it is freed from so much. The one who extends the forgiveness is released from a burden. Forgiveness is a release from a debt. We saw that in Matthew chapter 18 where the wicked servant didn't understand it. He'd been forgiven a great debt and he refused to forgive his fellow servant a debt. thing about a debt you understand is that you have the right to demand payment. Nothing unjust about that. If the person's indebted to you, you have the right to demand payment. But instead, through forgiveness, you release them from their debt. It must be why Jesus put it that way in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are debtors to us. So if that's what forgiveness is, then how is forgiveness given? How do you do it? Well, first, the answer to some of that is in there. You don't forgive and then return to the abuser. But more specifically, how do you do it? How is forgiveness given? It's given by an honest assessment. That's not just to condemn the sin. An honest assessment is to ask whether or not there is actually a debt there that needs to be forgiven. (laughs) In other words... Am I being childish when I want to forgive that person? Did that person actually harm me? Or am I just so childish that I think I've been harmed? There's a strange way in which forgiveness, which is out of bounds, shall we say, puts the person who extends the forgiveness in a position of self-righteousness. Oh, I want to forgive you for what you did to me. And you seem like the righteous one when in fact there's really nothing to be forgiven. They, they didn't do anything to you. You just got your feelings hurt. You might have just been too sensitive. And so you make this pompous, arrogant statement about forgiveness. I remember uh, hearing from somebody who said that um, on occasion he was clicking along his life and somebody left him a note. I'm going to call him Fred. Fred, I forgive you. And Fred looked at the note and said, what is this about? What, what, What do you mean? I forgive you. How is forgiveness given? Not that way, okay? (laughs) Not that way. 
How is forgiveness given? It's given by a very deliberative process. So if you're working through forgiveness, let me recommend something. You can do it your own way, of course. Uh, But perhaps your first step towards forgiveness is to write a letter to God. Tell him why you're struggling. Tell him you want to forgive. Tell him you want the burden of unforgiveness to be lifted off of you. And then write a letter to yourself. Tell yourself why you're struggling. And finally, write a letter to the offender. I mean, this is not like dropping a note and say, I, I, I forgive you for something the person didn't do or didn't know about. This is a real offense. Writing a letter to the offender. I, um, I had an occasion to witness that one time. It was one of the most powerful demonstrations of forgiveness I'd ever seen. Um, the person who was injured wrote the abuser the letter. And in this case, read it to him out loud in the presence of others. It was powerful. It needed to be read for the person who read it. It also needed to be read for the people who knew about it. So forgiveness is a deliberative process. Figure it out. Set up a plan and act on it. Forgiveness is given through repetition. Right? So we're like Peter, aren't we? Lord, how many times? Seven enough? No, 77, which in effect means don't stop. Keep on forgiving. We have to forgive over and over again. Why? Because God forgives us over and over again. Do you think he doesn't forgive us every day? So we have to replicate that in our lives In fact, we're instructed in Matthew 5 to pray for those who have persecuted us. Not just naming the sin and walking away, but praying for that person. And it happens repetitively if it happens properly. And finally, when forgiveness is given, what happens We remember God's forgiveness. That's what's happening. We're remembering what God has already done for us. And what it often does is it reduces our pride. What it often does when we forgive because we've been forgiven is that we realize that the same sins we're forgiving them of, we may be guilty of ourselves. When we remember God's forgiveness, we're moved to forgive. 
So how do we do it? We activate forgiveness. We pray for forgiveness. And lastly, we receive forgiveness. So I wonder if, if I had the ability to open up your mind right now with a little door and see inside it. How many of you would admit that you actually have trouble receiving forgiveness? You struggle with it. You beat yourself up. You can't believe you're worthy of forgiveness, so you don't allow yourself to be forgiven. What could be more insulting to a merciful, forgiving God than to, in effect, look at him and say, no thanks, I'm okay. Now, perhaps the way for us to get to the place that we receive it is for us to give it more. And then maybe we will be able to receive it more completely. Finally and quickly, what's the result of forgiveness? We turn the person over to God. We give justice into God's hands. We relieve ourselves of that. We're freed from bitterness and from revenge. We've removed that burden from ourselves. That's a result of forgiveness. And we're living in a new kind of freedom because we're no longer slaves to unforgiveness. And it is a slave, a form of slavery. And also... When we take the step of forgiveness as a disciple, we imitate Jesus, which is exactly what discipleship is all about, imitating your master. So finally, I I want to make a recommendation, an assignment, shall I say? You may remember that we read Psalm 32 at the very beginning of our worship service. Adam read it for us. And that's a classic passage where David says, when I kept my sin and didn't confess it, it was killing me. It was eating me up. It was destroying me. But when I, when I confessed my sin to you, God, I found relief and I was healed and my bones even felt better. That's a beautiful passage to lead us to communion. But let me suggest that we take Psalm 32 and link it with Matthew 18, our second passage. Let me suggest that instead of, legitimate as it is, instead of just focusing on the sin that we need to confess we actually come to a deep understanding that because we have been forgiven, we are called to forgiveness. So what's a simple exercise? In a few moments, we'll have communion. And we all always 
pause to confess our sins, to reflect on what we need to confess. Let me suggest in the next few moments when we do that, we think of what we need to confess and who we need to forgive. And that will round out the whole notion of biblical forgiveness. Will you pray with me? Lord, we we thank you for um, the encouraging topics and we thank you for the tough topics. The encouraging topics are wonderful. Um, The tough topics, they're deep and they teach us. And we know this is a tough topic. We, We struggle with it because we want to hold a grudge. It's a tough topic because... Part of our struggle is how to do it. It's a tough topic because we realize some people return to the abuser and it's really a false notion of forgiveness. And it's, it's not easy, God. We want to say that and we, we want to acknowledge it's hard. But we also want to acknowledge that you tell us it's not an option. In order to be a Christ follower, we must exercise forgiveness. So give us insight as to how to forgive and what to forgive. And give us the willingness to do it. And may all of that be covered by the canopy of your forgiveness that we have received from you directly. These things we pray in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.